Hey everybody, you've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Andrew. And this is Josh. We will be chatting about September 4th through the 10th of 2020 mm. at the Mayfair Theater. Wow, of 2020. 2020. It sounds like, like a movie. There, you're the trailer guy now. It's funny how 2020 was the far future. I'm old enough that 2000 was the future. Yeah. But you watch stuff like, I always forget this, but I think the Jetsons, which was like 62 or 64, was set in 2000, I think. Ooh, I didn't is even that think about that. I mean, that sounds right. I know. And, was... and then, of course, Blade Runner, which is, we've passed. Yeah, and also uh, Running Man was, I can't remember. I, can't I think remember Running Man's still one. coming. So that hasn't happened yet. I'm trying to think of the ones we all love. I'm Robocop like, is like 2030. Yeah. Is that correct? Is, Andrew, we need you on these ones. You're, yeah. the, oh, you're I don't, the date guy. I don't remember. <laughs> you sound like the grizzled old man in those movies. <laughs> I don't remember that last I mean, Running Man, like, I don't. You say that like you don't love Running Man, though. I mean, I got to think. It's not that... very good. <laughs> well, no, but it's also amazing, which is the weird thing. It's like a half half. If any movie from Stephen King's yeah. could have a remake, for just a completely fresh start mm -hmm. that would work so well nowadays because we're so in the trenches of reality TV and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. and really kind of darker and darker reality TV, The Running Man would be so good. Oh, yeah. Because I haven't read the book since junior high, but I seem to recall it was more something like, and I'm making this up, but it was something like you start in Florida, and if you get to yeah. Seattle... But along the way, people can tattletale on you or call a 1-800 yeah. number so and that kind of thing. It's like Man Tracker meets John Wick meets Survivor, you know, meets so The good. Amazing Race. Not <laughs> only would it be so good, then I wouldn't be shocked if somebody just did that. Maybe yeah. I should read the book. Maybe the book's... But Dude, it is, the ending is... The book's really good. Outrageous. And so different from the movie. Like, one of those things where... Like, again, I haven't read it in ages, but the guy in the book is not Arnold Schwarzenegger. The book takes place over a run, whereas the movie is in a studio like yeah. a, a game show the movie's still cool for its time and you know yeah. and, it, and it's the utmost of a schwarzenegger movie just yeah. with catchphrases and people dying and then you yeah. say something funny afterwards it's just so cheesy and like gory and just but it is a great like i thought when uh, rob zombie announced 31 it was going to be kind of like that like a horror movie version of that and it was yeah. not that at no. all <laughs> i'm not recommending that so but yeah no you're right like i, I think about that a lot and i just i think we both know that's probably never going to happen considering like who knows i mean like <laughs> they never stop making stephen king movies yeah that's true and even when there's a hiccup along the road like there'll be a, a flop or something it doesn't matter because he has so many books yeah. and he makes two new ones a year. I don't get that. That always blows my mind. He always he seems to announce one like pretty quickly in between. Because he works like an office worker because I'm a fan of his. And he wakes up at eight in the morning, works from nine till one, has lunch and then goes about his day. Like, But every day, five days a week. He writes, and most writers don't do that. Like a lot of writers have a long break in between or are really great at procrastinating. Yeah, or just have ghostwriters and have their name on it, basically. Or there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of those where it's like their name's at the top, and then the bottom one is like actually written by Steve Jones or something. And you're like, um, <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of celebrity biographies. Yeah. Autobiographies. You'll see that <laughs> like a really laugh. big. Co written by, but mostly written by. Shatner <laughs> did that for a while where oh, yeah. it would say William Shatner. And then there was these very well respected sci fi authors named. Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens. So oh. it would say, this book is totally written by William Shatner. And then there'd be a small print below saying, with help from Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens. Yeah. Maybe Shatner actually did work with them and work on the plot and do rewrites. But I almost, I just picture it like Krusty, right? Like he comes in and goes, 
uh, Captain Kirk does something with a ship and meets Picard, and then they fight some bad guys. Yeah. And they go, good, Bill. And then they take it and make a 400-page book out of that. Yeah. Like, how involved was he in Tech War, do you know? Like, did he actually, like, write any of that? Or Well, who knows? If you completely go by what the credit is. Yeah. He's written, I don't know, a dozen autobiographical-type books, two dozen fictional books, created a couple TV shows... He never stops. Yeah. And like his, I've read a couple of his nonfiction books and they were good. And again, who knows if he didn't have ghostwriter help, but mm-hmm. he did one about comic cons. He did one about classic Trek. He did one about the films. Then his fiction books, he wrote a bunch of Captain Kirk post Star Trek generations books. And then a bunch of tech war books. I've never yeah. read tech war. No, I never did. I remember it when I was younger, like as a teenager and I was like, huh, uh, I've I, sh- heard I should care about this. I've heard they're shockingly good, like very fun pulp sci-fi mm-hmm. kind of stuff but they were big right but that yeah. was that era of i don't know if it's gone but the franchise pocketbook and they made i don't know how many tech wars they made a bunch yeah i would see them at the library and stuff it's usually in that you know the reject dollar bin or whatever oh, yeah. by the yeah, door yeah. where you're like <laughs> not to say they're bad but i'm like oh tech war eh like i got from the reject dollar bin it's this is a bizarre thing it's a on-set diary written by shatner's daughter Wow, that's... And, and I don't know... And she wasn't, like, five. She was a grown-up. Okay. And I don't know if she's a writer. I don't know what her day job is. Yeah. But it's a really good book because it's about Star Trek V. And as most mm. people know, Star Trek V is not the most beloved Star Trek movie of all time. Yeah. But when she writes about it, she's just writing about all the how hard it is to make a movie. And during the time that they filmed Star Trek V, there was, like strikes going on at the last minute sean connery backed out and they had to recast in the 11th hour they had all these kind of rewrites and their budget got cut all this crazy oh, stuff man. so that any movie at all you read this diary and you're just like man that any movie at all got made out of this is amazing so it's a good read even if you don't like the movie of just if you're interested in behind the scenes movie stuff that's why i have a hard time being a critic because i just having worked on some films and been on some sets and just read a lot of behind the scenes stuff it's just like that any movie gets made whether it's a $25,000 clerks movie or a $200 million avengers movie mm. is impossible it's incredible <laughs> i assume they were able to get christopher Plummer for the sean connery role though they should have i don't know who they did for spock's brother but Plummer shows up in star trek 6 which um, is great oh man my joke came full circle star there. trek 6 is great and he plays this shakespearean klingon the thing there is he and shatner were at stratford together in their oh, youth that's true yeah so they're actual Man. friends and shatner got him the gig in star trek jeez that's crazy now we, we got to figure out whoever got that role <laughs> like who how can you step in for sean connery of all people if we ever get around to so like our, our format continues to be this four movies a week with two new movies and two retro movies and if sooner or later we hit star trek movies it'd be fun to just play them all like in my youth it was before Generations came out, and Mayfair had a day where they played all six. Jeez. That's not really doable. That's a long day. It was. I can't remember the math on that, but like, say that's 12 hours. Yeah. So I think, I guess they started it, they might have started in the morning to have breaks in between. Yeah, like, like 10 a.m. or 10 something 10 a.m. Like that, and then yeah. went to like midnight or 11. But And you're not getting the director's cut of part one on that one. No. Like, that's like three hours. But it was a fun day, and I can't remember what they charged. We can't really do that now, but I thought like, I don't know if Star Trek... Five and one would draw a crowd. Mm -hmm. But two through four are kind of neat because a lot of nerds call that the Star Trek trilogy, despite it being called two, three, and four, because those three movies have a beginning, middle, and an end to them. Mm -hmm. Star Trek six is a really good standalone film. 
So maybe we'll get around yeah. to showing one of those sooner or later. And but Seven was good. I like First Contact. Yeah, it's not perfect. I liked a lot of it too. That's a movie where if you're into listening to audio commentaries, the audio commentary on Generations is really good. It's the two writers and they're very honest about what worked and what didn't and what they should have done and what they couldn't do. And yeah, it is a good film in the end, but I like those kind of commentaries where they're kind of honest and it's not just that person was great to work with. And yeah. that, like, you don't got to be mean, but just say like, oh yeah, that could have been different. That could have been different. Yeah. Cause it's, it's also like, well, I've already bought the Blu-rays. So I'm obviously a fan, you know, like it was yeah. like Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 was like that, where they had the main few actors and one of the producers and one of the main actors was just kind of like, yeah, this wasn't very good. And like, you know, we shot this a few times. It just didn't work. And the producer's like, well, you know, we're doing the best <laughs> we could. And you're like, they were almost taking it personally. And, and this was recorded like last year. So I'm like, guys, I love Silent Ed- Deadly Night 2 probably more than anyone, but it's not good. Like, it's just, you can say it sucked. Like, we won't feel bad about it, you know? I got a strange respect for Ben Affleck years ago because my friends and I were just going through commentaries because we were young and had nothing else to do. And I worked at a video store and we would get movies and sometimes like watch the movie and then back to back, just watch the commentary yeah. right after it. I remember we watched, which one was it? I can't remember if it was Pearl Harbor or Armageddon, but it was one of those. Phantoms? I I thought for (laughs) sure he was going to say it was Phantoms. But Affleck does the commentary with Michael Bay. Okay, so it was probably Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. And Affleck tears it apart. Like, Affleck is very Uh self-deprecating and kind of making fun of the schmaltz of it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's really corny. It's a really good commentary. And and he's not kind of mean, but he's poking fun. And I just remember that and just being like, ah, Affleck has a good sense of humor about this. Oh, my God. Because Michael Bay thinks he's Scorsese with giant robots. Like, he thinks he's great. Well, because he has the track record. Like, well, financially. Financially, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so that's the thing. Like, he's just... I could see him being one of those guys who's like, what, what are you going to tell me? Like, every one of my movies has made a billion dollars. Yeah, and if you're the CEO of Paramount Pictures and you're looking at the numbers and you're like, yep, makes sense to make another yeah. one. Uh, yeah, on the one hand, like, I mean, he's probably one of the most successful filmmakers of all time. Probably. Right? If you think about it, like, even though his stuff doesn't play here, but... Well, it's like people get mad. We were just thinking about Disney and where they're going to go in the next couple of years because if you look online, they have themselves mapped out till like, 2028. But it's all a mystery where they're like, Live-action Disney remake, animated film, Pixar film, Star Wars movie, Marvel movie. And they've just got this grid, and it's going to go for the next five years or six years. We watched a documentary, again, not to plug television, but we watched a documentary about Howard Ashman, who did Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, and Little Shop of Horrors. The music for all those movies. Okay. So, So quite a track record. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. And then sadly passed away right after that run. But since his death, the movies don't go away, like all these live action remakes that have happened. And some people, some traditionalists get mad and are like, why are they making these remakes instead of doing original content? And I'm like, because they keep making a billion dollars. Yeah. I didn't like Alice in Wonderland and I really like Tim Burton. It made a billion dollars. So of course they're going to say, hey, let's do Aladdin. Let's do Beauty and the Beast. Let's do Sleeping Beauty, whatever. They're going to keep going until they run it. (laughs) Mulan's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're a business, you kind of look at those numbers and go like, yep. Yeah, it's a weird barometer for quality, though. Or barometer, I should say. Barometer. Barometer. I'm like, cut ahead of myself there. Because it's like, for Star Wars stuff, it's like, it's going to make a billion dollars if it's good or bad. It's so odd nowadays. It almost means nothing anymore. Like, it's not, you don't know what you're really getting for that. You know, like, I haven't watched those Disney movies, so I can't say. I'm also not the audience for it, so I'm not someone to be like, yeah, Beauty and the Beast sucked. You know, like, it's not up to me. But but it's weird when something is like, no matter what you do, no matter how good or bad it is, it's like if Drake puts out a song of him burping, it'll go to number one. Well, that's why it's nice when big mainstream studios seemingly actually try. Mm-hmm. Like, 
put interesting directors on the job, do rewrites, like actually put an effort into it, not just police academying it, being like, we'll do one a year until one of them flops. Yeah, they need to remake Mission to Moscow right now. It's finally, you know, with all the Russia stuff, now is finally the time. All the Russia stuff, all the (laughs) cop stuff, this is perfect. Yeah, it's just what we need. It's interesting where, like, a small film, when a smaller film, like, I don't know what the budget of Parasite was. I know it wasn't low budget, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't... Like 50 million? I think it costs less. He made a movie called Okja. Oh, yeah. Well, that had, like, effects and stuff, right? For Netflix, which I haven't seen, but apparently that movie was really expensive. Because that had a big CG monster. Yeah, and Parasite was just, you know, like, a fraction of that. Yeah, Yeah. so, like, that's... Because, you know, Parasite just takes place in that house. Yeah, not much happens. I mean, a lot happens, but not much happens, expensive-wise. If the movie costs $30 million and makes 60, then the company goes, great. Mm -hmm. But if it costs $30 million and makes 200, then it's like, wow. Yeah. It's weird that... As we speak, it seems that studios only want to make zero-budget movies or $200 million budget movies. Where you see like the horror films like Halloween, I think the budget was $10 million. The more recent Halloween. And then you've got Avengers, Star Wars, whatever. But I've heard that it's hard to get that middle ground, those kind of middle ground romantic comedies or buddy cop movies or those kind of things. Like You either have to be enormous or tiny Mm -hmm. which is still okay there's still a lot of great stuff happening in both those areas but i think say something like bill and ted three that was what was so hard to get it done was we're not no budget because we got a bunch of effects and stuff we're not enormous we're not going to make a billion dollars so like you know we need a budget of 40 million bucks that's the hard number to get now yeah and it's weird that even with where keanu reeves at now like i mean he's as popular as he's ever been in some ways you know and even with that they still couldn't get the budget that they you know i might even say deserved for a project like that it's not that it looks bad or anything like that but just you almost wish that you could be like wow you've got keanu reeves you've got the writers back you've got all this stuff going for you and you know obviously everything that's going on in the world right now didn't help either oh it's so wild like just so many pretty much every studio is just like "Mm, uh, no i don't know we can't well that shows you how hard it is right remember a couple years ago it was Producer James Cameron, director Guillermo del Toro, star Tom Cruise, and they were trying to do a Cthulhu movie. Yeah, yeah, it was in the Mountains of Madness, or at the Mountains of Madness. And those three people, the studios are like, nope. So it's still hard, like, no matter what level you're at. And apparently, like, they were saying after the fact that Prometheus had a lot of similar ideas to that story. I haven't read the story. Like, I've, oh, a, yeah. a friend of mine's a huge Lovecraft guy, so I usually just text him. I'm like, do I know what I'm talking about? Apparently, some of the ideas were similar, so that when Prometheus came out, the studio was like, oh, well, you know, we definitely can't give you the money now because, you know, it's basically the same movie, which, which it's not, but just as yet another thing to add onto the pile to get out from doing that, you know? So, but I mean, that said, I think, I think he wanted like $200 million or like a hundred to 200 yeah. million to do it properly because yeah, that is going to be like, you're going to have to craft that movie like Peter Jackson style. You know? And even now no one has a perfect record. Cause even Tom Cruise, who has a pretty good record, there's a handful of movies the last couple of years that weren't enormous hits. Mm-hmm. And so, then they disappear and no one remembers like night yeah. and day. And then he just goes, another Mission Impossible and everyone goes, yay! <laughs> That's kind of what it is. They're just like, oh, this didn't work. No one will remember that in two years. So here's Mission Impossible 8. Or yeah, what Top Gun 2. Yeah, I mean... Oh my god, I can't maybe, believe they're doing Top Gun 2. I'm not gonna watch it just because well, I don't some care. Of the, but the, the aerial like stuff looks pretty good. It Who's, should. Like, who I directed mean, it? The guy who did Oblivion, I think? Remember oh, that, yeah. that one? Which, oh yeah. That was a 
fine. Which I thought was kind of boring. Like the first one was stuff. poor Tony Scott. Yeah, not with yeah, us anymore. Not with us. Oblivion and Edge of Tomorrow came out so close together that I get them confused sometimes. I'm like, okay, it's a space movie and he's doing stuff and there's a weird twist. I'm Edge like, of Tomorrow is the good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that one's actually funny as well. Uh, and Tom Cruise is really good in that playing not tom cruise like hmm. sometimes being cowardly and tom cruise is a weird anomaly because everybody knows tom cruise and whether we should or not know kind of his personal life mm-hmm. but he sure does make good movies yeah and I, <laughs> man I, I even really like not john wick but the other man's name that tom cruise played and he did the sequel as well jack reacher, jack reacher that's not it. tom wick yeah, was, <laughs> tom, <laughs> john wick not john wick yeah not quite john wick <laughs> yeah but the first jack reacher was like a lot of fun and like kind of unexpected for him, like, it wasn't just, like, punch and kick, you know, it was kind of a, you know, it took its time to tell the story as well. And had Werner in it. Yeah, exactly. Like, he was great, too, as the villain. Like, my wife and I both really liked the first one. We were just kind of shocked, because you just don't expect to like Tom I think Cruise. that's, again, it's one of those examples of stupid having a podcast. I forget if I talked about this in real life or on the podcast, but that sophomore jinx of a first film, you work really hard, and you might overnight success it, and it was 10 years. So say that first Jack Reacher film, even though it was based off a popular book, it might have been years of rewrites and working on it and really trying to get it perfect. And it did well. And then part two, the studio's like, okay, we want part two next year. So there's just a logic to it. of, Okay, well, if we have to write it and produce it in a year, we don't have that much time to really perfect it. And that happens with everything. Back to the Future, the first one was like 10 or 15 years of just working really hard on it. And then they're like, we want two more as soon as you can give them to us. So it's rare that the sequels kind of get over that sophomore jinx. They can still be good, but they don't have that starving artist worked on it forever kind of mentality. Yeah. Well, you have to work around when you can get Tom Cruise as well. So yeah, it's like yeah, it, yeah. You have to deliver it in a year, but you can only have him for this month or something like that. So you got to get it done by then. I want him to go back and do... He hasn't done a, to my knowledge anyhow, like a small movie in a while. Like Magnolia was yeah. over 10 years ago, right? Yeah, and I th- that was yeah, and he's really good in that. Yeah, like, and I think he even like, I don't know, he might have just, because for a while there he was doing a few of those where he was trying to, like uh, Collateral as well, you know, where he, oh, he, yeah, he was, he was, was obviously doing more like character Oscar stuff. Bait. Yeah, and it worked. Like, I mean, those are probably his two best roles in the last 20 years, you know, but at the same time, yeah, like, I think he kind of maybe, well, he's like, well, I'm not getting my Oscar, so I'll just do these, like, explosion movies <laughs> for and a little longer. The thing is, those Mission Impossible movies are a weird thing in their own because this is just me. I didn't really like part one. Didn't hate it, but I didn't yeah, love it. Eh. Part two, kind of the same. But then part three by J.J. Abrams yeah. and Up. Three's really good. And then part four was Brad Bird from The Incredibles oh, and right. Ratatouille. Yeah, and that one was really good. Yeah, that was And good. even the next, what are we at now? Six? Well, and it's been the guy who did Usual Suspects for the last couple. Yeah, and they're really good. The last good. one, I think, or what was the last one? I think the last um, one was probably... The best one, I think. That's, yeah, that's and what that, people in say. my opinion. I, and was, that's I was crazy. a little let down by it just because I kept hearing that. And so by the time I saw it, I was like, okay, well, it was good. But I wish I hadn't kept hearing it was the best one because now my brain's like, mm, was it? Because what now? We've had four with four with Simon Pegg, right? Yeah. And the first one, he just had a cameo. And then in the next ones, he's like in them. Yeah, he's like a major. So character. really, it's a weird thing where you can throw out the first two films and do like just the Simon Pegg editions that you could argue that whatever, like, part five or six of a series is the best one that shouldn't happen yeah that never happens yeah no because like i'm pretty much the same like i mean i liked part two at the time because i was a teenager and it's just not good like it's a ridiculous movie but isn't part two like a 
comical amount of times is people ripping off fake yeah. masks. Doug Ray Scott's in it, the original Wolverine, but then he wasn't cast or whatever. Isn't that movie why he didn't become Wolverine? He busted his ankle or busted his arm on a stunt? Yeah. And it oh was, my God. It was either Poor that. Poor Doug Ray Scott. Yeah, like I, can't, I remember that at the time. It was like, They even had the makeup uh, stuff for like the prosthetic for his face and stuff and like it never happened. Yeah, because I remember you, Jackman said that he came in crazy 11th hour on x-men like other people had started shooting and stuff like Mm. it was underway oh man can you imagine so in an alternate universe you jackman is like a talented character actor from australia and doug ray scott is wolverine (laughs) yeah that i mean maybe he would have been great everything would have been yeah (laughs) it's hard to say would he then be the greatest showman or whatever like i mean does he get all (laughs) those jackman roles he gets every single role (laughs) oh god my buddy was telling me about swordfish he wanted to pick it for our bad movie night and i was like i was there opening week in the theater I'm not bragging by, by any means, but I was just like, it's not good. Like, it's not, I don't even know if it's funny, bad. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's bad. It's just, it's it's it's, it's, it's just adequate. Yeah. Like at best, like it's not, I don't I know. I wouldn't do it as a bad movie night. It's no, because not... it wasn't that. I just remember the, you know, the breast scene was so forced. Like, then that was the oh, big was deal horrible. at the time. They were like, yeah. oh, she got an extra million dollars. And it was like, like, I mean, I guess they could have done it artistically, but it was, she's just like, you see it and you're like, oh, okay. They might as well have had arrows on screen going, yeah. this is it. This <laughs> is it. <laughs> it was like, yeah, the ringing bell from like a 60s horror movie. <laughs> like, yeah, because it could have been something like a scene that actually made sense. Yeah. But it's like Kevin Bacon even... and Wild Things. Wild Things, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. It, like, that's a whole other. And I think like, I don't even know if that was deliberate. I thought I heard at the time, like, it sort of happened and they were like, well, we'll keep it in there. Like, he didn't care. Because he's but... getting out of the shower. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, at least there's kind of a motivation. I think he yeah. missed the mark or something. And so, like they ended up catching Kevin. Oh, that's bacon. so funny! If, if that was an accident. Yeah, that's. I, I had heard that at, at one point because, and he just he seems like the kind of guy who wouldn't care. Like, Imagine that call, like some associate producer. Uh, hello, Mr. Bacon. Um, so we have something we found on the editing something. rough. Uh, yeah. Would you mind? He, I bet you was like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Leave it Check in. out the dailies. He's like, looks good, looks good, look. Whoop! Okay, there it is. <laughs> Oh I should God. watch that one again. Kevin Bacon has an Instagram. Everyone has an Instagram now. Yeah, I think he has But he, he, posted, a, he posted a clip of his, I guess, his death scene in Wild Things. Or, okay, not, uh, I really got, thought you were going to say his dick. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, you, you said it. You, I, <laughs> damn it. You tricked me. His death scene. <laughs> Somebody commented like, oh, I should watch Wild Things again. And he's like, well, no time like the present. Uh, it was pretty good. Like, I It mean, is pretty good. I was, again, I was a teenager at the time, but I remember it being like way better than... It's one of those like things. everyone's double, triple crossing yeah, yeah. each other movies. Could triple cross some of the time as well, probably like... That's good. It's, it's kind of like a big budget softcore Cinemax kind yeah. of thing. Like a sexy thriller, I yeah. guess. I, that feels weird. I wish I hadn't said that, sexy but thriller. I guess it kind of was. I don't know. And they made two sequels to that, too. I don't know. What? what yeah, yeah. Direct video. Oh, that's right. The in-name only kind of thing. <laughs> I can't remember who. They always got a C or D list guy to headline it. I can't remember who And they was. did that with 8mm. They did oh, a, yeah, yeah, There's yeah. an 8mm 2. Yeah, and it's I didn't bother with that. It's just like the cell 2, you know? Like, it's like we don't and, need... And uh, Roadhouse 2. There's a Roadhouse 2. <laughs> that seems inappropriate since uh, oh. we lost the great Patrick Swayze. Yeah, and I mean... <laughs> well, it was before he died. Yeah, I thought it so. It was before he died, he died but they killed of off his character. What? What? But they didn't have him like, oh no, he's driving off a cliff. <laughs> like they no, just they, were like, he's it, dead. I've, I've <laughs> seen Roadhouse 2. I'm, I'm one of like the three people who've seen it. Oh, and it's man. his son. And it's the star of 8mm 2. So it's, Whoa, that, oh, it's that guy who does, all the, it's, who does all the part twos and oh, things. No. 
What and they kill, they they kill, off, God, they kill off his character. They kill off Dalton because <laughs> Patrick Swayze is like, no, I'm not doing Roadhouse 2. He was like two. killed in a fight or something? No, I think it was like he was ambushed in his apartment. Like It was like a drive-by. The guys from 8mm 2 killed him? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh no, they're cross-pollinating movies now. I can't believe that genre still exists, but... I guess video on demand's a thing, or maybe because of like Netflix and everything. Probably but some of it, yeah. It was a, a few months ago, maybe longer, when I read something about Hard Target Two, and my heart stopped at the thrill of the anticipation With of Scott a new Scott Atkins. Yeah, it wasn't Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah, I like him too, but it was just like we're still in that world of just buying the title and slapping a two on yeah. it, and it Backdraft Two. Oh, dude, Backdraft Behind two. Enemy Lines. There's four of them. That's nuts. Like they what? keep making those sniper movies. Yeah, that too. And the Marine. Like, with Tom Berenger, like, when Sniper came out, it was, like, 1992. I haven't seen any of those movies, yeah. but Sniper must have been a huge hit, I guess. If or they, at least a, a hit of a any hit kind. Enough where <laughs> and they, I think they, it was actually kind of well-reviewed and, like... Yeah, like, as like they a, go, you know. What do you call it? Like, a sleeper hit, like a medium hit. Mm-hmm. And I guess these sequels, you don't got to make a ton of money. They're like, no. our budget's $3 million, and uh, especially best. back in the video store days, if you're like... Every blockbuster in Rogers and West Coast Video and yeah. whatever in North America are going to buy one copy at $20 or $50, whatever. Like, that's... There about, you go. How about The Substitute? There's another one. There's oh, three or four oh, with, of those. Uh, with, yeah, Treat yeah, Williams, Williams does the sequels. Was it Berenger in the first one? Berenger it, it in was. the first okay. one. And that got a theatrical release, I yeah. think. I'm pretty sure. And then there's like two... I think two, three, maybe a fourth. With, yeah, there's with at least two more. Treat Williams. I think I've seen the second one. Yeah, and it's like, you know, school's out or some funny tagline yeah. like that. Detention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, my the substitute. Home Re- room. Recess is over. <laughs> it writes itself. Late slip. Yeah, like, these the are Substitute all... is a ridiculous movie. I guess I'll just... I guess you spoiler like, alert. I think it's like, been long enough. Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters is the principal. I love Ernie okay, Hudson. Okay. And he's, he, but he's an evil principal because it, his whole school is a front for, like, a coke dealing operation oh, nice so he's like a drug kingpin and all the students all the bad students are like his drug dealers nice so tom berenger comes in to like pose as a substitute teacher he's a mercenary and he's like <laughs> trying to get to the bottom of this this drug dealing operation that the principal was he doing. also a teacher because you're like how long are you gonna pull out you're like okay uh, next lesson is uh, there's another movie that's similar it was savage streets with okay yeah linda blair yeah. where john vernon is the principal <laughs> But he's like, I think he's evil or something. It's that's, the another like right. bad guy principal movie. He's like, yeah, we're selling coke out of the school. Yeah. <laughs> it's time for someone to put their foot down, and that foot is me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he did some great voices on the Batman animated series too. I remember that was my first John Vernon experience. Oh yeah, to tie it into Josh World because uh, love Batman animated series. He was like a Carmine Falcone type character. Oh yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, he had a good voice. He had a great. Yeah. He would have been great for voiceovers, for sure. And my dad loved him. That was one of those times where I'd be watching a kid's cartoon, and my dad would be like, hey, I know that voice. We're bonding. <laughs> and he was the mayor in Dirty Harry. Oh, man. Oh, it's so good. So good. Anyways. Anyways. You probably want to mention real movies that we're I playing. guess. We're, oh, yeah. We should get around to mentioning our films that are screening September 4th through the 10th. Come on, Substitute 3. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just four Substitute films. <laughs> we need this. We have our Bruce Lee Film Fest continuing with... His biggest film, Enter the Dragon, mm-hmm. the big American release. I don't know how much money it made at the time, but I think it was like, especially for what it cost. I oh, think I it, think it was probably a huge hit. I think it made a lot of money. Yeah. He didn't really become a big star until after he died. And I yeah. think that came out post-death, like after he died, it came. Man, I think. Poor guy. 
I mean, yeah. that sounds realistic to me. But no so it's, no it's, one's saying it didn't. It's a legendary cult film, I guess you'd call it. But of course, Bruce Lee is one of those went before his time. And just when he was starting to become a superstar, who knows what the next five or 10 years of his career might have been. But yeah. it's been fun watching his old movies here just because just watching these early 70s, mid 70s films, they're just they're just so of their time and different and fun to see because we don't usually get that chance to show them. And it's that kind of silver lining right now of getting to show some more retro stuff that people are actually coming out to, which is great. So Enter the Dragon, and then next week will be Game of Death, and then that wraps which up Which he's our, kind of in. Which he's kind <laughs> of in, which I morbidly want to see because it's such a yeah. weird premise. And he's that's, It's the, the one where he, he fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I believe. So right. you got that going for you. I mean, you But, but otherwise, it's like build. two stand-ins playing him. From behind. Yeah. Yeah. With sunglasses on. But still fun. I mean, it's absurd fun. That's that's worth coming to, right? I mean, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be in all of it. So then one of our new films this week is an Ottawa premiere of a documentary called Dave Not Coming Back. It's almost like a mystery slash outdoors environment movie about scuba divers and they find a body and then kind of dominoes fall from there. Yeah, it sounds like some horror elements to me. Because it sounds terrifying. Yeah, like it's one of the. That's why I don't go outside. Is these movies? <laughs> it's like all these documentaries show are never like I went for a pleasant hike. It's always like it's always like I went uh, outside and a bear yeah, killed me. I totally it's, didn't find a body. Yeah. Well, you had that one where the guy walked around New York. I guess that was like yeah he, he got, didn't find a body. He, he made it somehow. He didn't find a body in New York. And then Free Solo, where spoiler alert, the guy lives. But oh my god, that's a stressful movie. Yeah. And within the movie, they pay homage to 12 people who died who he knew because they were climbing mountains without any safety and uh. i'm gonna stick to dave's not here man i can i can handle yeah. that that's <laughs> what i keep thinking when i, know, I, right? when I see that title but then when i got here, here i was like don't say dave's not here man instead three people in a row if you're listening no hard feelings <laughs> three people in a row made that joke on facebook oh no and i just quietly erased it without replying or doing anything because i'm like they did it without realizing it's a documentary about someone who died and Jeez. maybe not appropriate to make a little mystery science theater joke at them you <laughs> know right, well, now like, i feel like a jerk i mean yeah. i didn't know i would never post that online of course just here are people getting that we're showing burnt orange heresy right now are people getting that title wrong well see we're in the lucky position where we only have one screen so a lot of people just go one please yeah but yeah i have heard i got it wrong i i was saying he hearsay for a long time yeah it's heresy isn't it heresy burnt orange heresy and a lot of people will come in which is funny because he's not the star but a wide percentage coming in and saying can i have one for the mick jagger movie and uh, and he's really just like a not the Don donald Sutherland. no mick <laughs> jagger's donald Sutherland. <laughs> one guy said that a, a, ton, a tongue twister <laughs> yeah mick's getting mick's bringing in more of a crowd than anybody else in that movie i think the guy yeah. from free jack the guy oh, from free jack that's what they say i keep and thinking of free jack all, all week ever since we talked about this i got to watch free jack again yeah Maybe we're playing it's that. On, it's on uh, Shout Factory TV. Oh, oh my God! There you, you go. Love that. I love Shout Factory TV. That wasn't a plug. It's not just that like, I watch I know TV. That, I know that it's on there. <laughs> I think for Josh, that was a plug. So then we have a what would you call it? It's a World War II romantic drama called Summerland with Gemma Arterton. What's her name? Gemma Arterton. Ar Ar Gemma Arterton. Arterton. Gemma Ar is Arterton. It Arterton. It's one of those. I like her. My name just my mind just blanked on her name. But... Gemma A. Gemma, my pal Gemma. That's too obvious. It looks really good. It looks like a, uh, it's World War II British downtown Abbey kind of thing, you know. So it's weird. I don't know. A PBS movie. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's. It'll make good. you cry. But, but there'll be no interruptions 
for pledge drives. And, are there, is, and there's probably no like gore. It's like set in the war and stuff, but it's like a lighthearted. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, <laughs> well, it's I think like, it's like at home. Okay, the yeah, people you know, left behind. Well, during wartime. I got you. I the got war's you. way over there, and this is people back at home. It's okay. It's you're not so like dames and trenches and stuff. And you're like, okay, this is weird. That's your problem. You're like, there's no no gore in it. That's, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't want the gore. I'm just, I found it weird. It's it, You're like, it's a World War II romantic. And I'm like, what? Those two things don't generally go together. Yeah, like how many sharks are in it? Yeah. Now, if there were, <laughs> you'd have me. But, you know, next week, maybe. Gemma Arterton plays a shark that, that in I World watch. War II. <laughs> Pool shark. Pool like, shark. Oh, come huh. on. So then the last film we have this week is on the heels of showing... 2001, a very different film from Stanley Kubrick, A Clockwork Orange. So we have that for four screenings coming up this week. A movie which, of its time, was super banned everywhere. Oh, yeah. Like, you couldn't see it. And it's still, like, pretty intense in parts. It is. It's it's very R-rated. Yeah. I, I remember seeing it here when I was, like, 15, and I think the Mayfair didn't care. I think I could have walked in yeah. here when I was, like, 8, and they'd been like, one one for Clockwork Orange. <laughs> Are you 18? Yes. <laughs> so I remember seeing, like, even the first half hour when I was a kid, and I felt weird. Like, I felt, like, almost dirty. Like, you know that oh, it yeah. is R-rated. Like, yeah, it's not just one of those ones with a few F-bombs. <laughs> it's the, the Simpsons yelling Barton Fink in the back of a truck joke, where yeah. sometimes you're a kid and you see an R-rated movie or 14A movie, whatever, whether it be alien or nightmare on elm street and you're like oh that's cool but then you see kind of like a real grown-up r movie and you actually get the sense of like i don't think i'm old enough to watch this yeah yeah <laughs> i shouldn't like, be here right your now first time watching climax or irreversible or something you're oh like, god i shouldn't be doing this i remember my parents renting you know they'd rent like a kid's movie for me and my brothers and then they'd rent the r-rated movie for themselves but sometimes i'd get to watch the r-rated movie and i remember watching pacific heights with oh, Matthew, oh. Matthew Modine and wow. Michael Keaton. I like that movie. Michael Keaton as... Was that the first time he played a psycho? I think so, yeah. Not the last. Because usually he was like the comedy guy, right? Because that was post-Batman. That was after... It was like the year after Batman? Yeah, so that, that was kind of the, the gimmick. Like, ooh, look, Batman's playing a bad guy. That and was on he, the poster. And then he's coming <laughs> back playing Batman again after yeah. this. Yeah, that was sandwiched in between Batman and Batman Returns. <laughs> That's fun, though. Like that, I feel like I would probably want to do that same thing. You're like, I got to get out of this headspace. What crazy guy can I play? That's what was so great about Chris Evans doing Knives Out after playing Captain America a whole bunch of times mm -hmm. was just to really both prove to himself and to his either kind of critics or people who might hire him in the future that yeah. he's like, no, look, I can do more than Captain America. I can play a murder suspect. Yeah, no spoilies. Of, of many suspects. <laughs> no spoilies. <laughs> and speaking of Matthew Modine and Stanley Kubrick, if you go on... Audible, you can get a... Matthew Modine wrote a diary about making Full Metal Jacket. It's oh, called yeah. Full Ooh. Metal Diary. I forgot about that. And there's a physical book version of it, but he does a really great audio version of it, talking about his experiences making Full Metal Jacket and mm. Stanley Kubrick. It's really good. And it's a really Jeez. quick... It's like like just a couple hours. It goes by really fast, but it's really, really fascinating. Is it him reading it? It's him, read it's oh, him nice. reading it. It kind of has a radio play feel to it mm. sometimes. And it, he does all the voices and... Like all his conversations oh, with man. Stanley Kubrick and how weird that got, but it's really fascinating. Oh, he does like the Kubrick voice and stuff? Yeah, he remembers That's his amazing. conversations. and I can't even, I'm, it's not going to be like I'm picturing in my head already with the voices. <laughs> like my version would be more silly voices probably, but like that sounds amazing. It's really, really good. It's really worth listening to. I will say if you're... Uh... No Pacific Heights diary though. Oh, come on. <laughs> There's still time. I like Modine. If you're a cheap bastard like me and you don't want to like pay for books... I've gotten addicted to this thing through the Ottawa Public Library, and I'm sure it's 
on all the libraries, mm. but it's called Overdrive. And so I'm going to look for this Matthew Maximum Modine book. Overdrive. Maximum <laughs> Overdrive. Do they have that too? Because that's fun. But it's for audiobooks and ebooks. And in the past month, I listened to the Beastie Boys book, a couple Star Wars books, and now I'm listening to World War Z, which has all kinds of cool people on it, like yeah. Alan Alda and Common and Mark Hamill <laughs> and Alda. Henry Rollins, like really cool cast. Jamie Farr and <laughs> all, the yeah. best, all the top stuff. Everyone from MASH. But yeah, so that's a it's a neat resource to listen to audiobooks. Man, I wish we could get a Stephen King diary for the making of Maximum Overdrive, but it would oh, just be, be a so blank good. page pretty much. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Stephen wasn't doing so well back then. I can't quite remember stuff from then. Remember the ad for Maximum Overdrive where it was Stephen King going, Hi, I'm Stephen King. I watched that again recently. No, but... You may remember me from such movies as... Like, it's like him doing a Troy McClure, but Stephen King, it's a good trailer. He was the selling point, because, like, Emilio Estevez (sighs) is in it, but I don't think it was too soon yeah. for it to say starring Emilio Estevez pretty mighty ducks yeah. so yeah it was yeah he, I don't I guess he wasn't a big star then it was you it know. was kind of like Brat Pack era but yeah and Stephen King was like they were cocky and he was cocky and I think they were trying to make him into Hitchcock they were like yeah it was him doing the ad it's a really cool trailer wow yeah I remember when his co-sign was a big thing like Evil Dead where he's like one of the scariest movie of the year or whatever oh, like sure. that actually meant something yeah. but now it's now, still- now, now he's just a multi-millionaire who I've wins seen, awards every I've year. I've seen the future of horror, and yeah. his name is Clive Barker. Oh, yeah, you're like, hey, all right. That right. worked for me. That's fair. Time's it. Okay, you might, let's, Is let's, there one more movie to say, or did you say the No, more? that's it. I, saw, I said all four. Okay. Enter the Dragon, Dave Not Coming Back, Summerland, and Clockwork Orange, and then stay tuned. We'll have news coming up for some movies of the week of September 11th is Game of Death, mm. and... I got a rough schedule, but what I do remember is because Lee asked if I thought it was a good idea, and I said, I'm a bad person to ask because I just want to screen this, is we will have Bill and Ted 3. Hmm. Which, week. oh, I saw that last night, and it's fun. Yeah. yeah and I said, but you didn't see it on the big screen. I did see it on the big screen. All right, fine. How dare you? Oh, I shouldn't mention that. Well, How dare you? Well, I shouldn't dare, mention that. How dare you betray the Mayfair? It was like Blockbuster days. You got a pre-screener. You can't tell people to come. Yeah. I'm trying well, to no, that's here. good. I, I saw it, and I'm recommending it. Yeah, yeah. Come see it at the Mayfair. There you go. For the first the time. Ma- yeah. yeah. Don't do what Andrew Don't told. do what I did. <laughs> yeah. I just took one for the team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He didn't even want to watch it. He could have been killed. Yeah. But stay tuned. We'll have news of upcoming movies, maybe even today, if I'm multitasking while working in the box office. And you can find all that information online at mayfairtheater.ca. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Go visit our friends at House of Targ across the street if you're listening from Ottawa. And buy your tickets through Eventbrite. And we're in the process of hopping over to another online company called events.com. So hopefully for the week of September 11th, we'll have that. And they're a local company. They love us a lot and are helpful because they're local. So if anything goes horrible, they can help us out. And they're really gung-ho about doing all kinds of special stuff with us. So that's nice. Stay tuned for that as we hop over to a new online ticketing source. And we'll see you again here at the Mayfair for a bunch of cool movies. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Do you think we can get Doug Ray Scott to do the substitute Dougie part four? <laughs> Dougie Scott. Oh, man. Yeah, we need to be calling him that. Roper, Williams, and Lee, the deadly three, penetrate the secret chambers of an evil island empire. What do you know about Han? He lives like a king on that island. Totally self-sufficient. A fortress without walls, protected by an invincible army that needs no ordinary weapons. This is Enter the Dragon, the first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio. John Saxon is Roper. He was in it for the money. U.S. karate champion Jim Kelly as Williams. 
He was there because he had no choice. Black Belt Hall of Fame undisputed martial arts champion and international film star Bruce Lee. His job was to get them out alive. I'm hoping you'll join us, represent us in the United States. You want me to join this? Roper, Williams, and Lee, just when they think they've broken the secret of the island, they find there is no escape from the inscrutable Han. Warner Brothers presents Enter the Dragon, where the world's greatest martial arts athletes meet the ultimate challenge with the most ancient and deadly of weapons, the human body. Enter the Dragon from Warner Brothers.